Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again today, and thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your busy schedule to join us every week at the same time. Those of you who follow our ministry realize that we do a lot of stuff in a series form, especially on television. But I would say this to you if you are watching us via television, that if you have missed any of these programs that we're doing on the book of Judges, you can watch it on demand through our YouTube channel. Uh, it, it, the very, it, it, or you could listen to the audio portions of it through our podcast or through our RSS feed. And the easiest way to do that would be to just go to this link at lynnhiles.com and in the upper right-hand corner of our website, there are icons that will take you directly to our YouTube channel. And so uh, as you uh, go to that YouTube channel, you'll be able to watch them because what we do is we upload it usually the day after we air it on national television. And uh, what's incredible about, I think, YouTube especially is because we closed caption our program, this closed captioning translates in every language around the globe. Uh, and so you could share it with your friends who don't speak English and they can still get the gospel through our uh, TV programs. Amazing to me how the power of a camera has reached around the globe for us and, and people in other countries. About the thousands are responding. We just got back from Brazil where the response was overwhelming with just huge, huge crowds, massive crowds, and hungry people responding to the gospel of grace. Your partnership has enabled us to do that, and for that we are forever grateful. If you're not a partner already and you'd like to become one because you appreciate what we're doing or you're listening to these on YouTube, it does cost to do this, so it's easy to sow into the ministry, and we'll give you some information at the end of the program on how you can do that. But consider that even as we share the Word today. We're going to continue. This will be the fourth segment on the book of Judges. We're just really introducing it in this season. But it talks, starts out by saying, uh, uh, Judges chapter 1, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who will go up for us to go for against us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up indeed. I have delivered the land into his hand. The book of Judges is about executing a judgment that was exacted through the death of Jesus. Interestingly enough, and, and again, I'm not going to go back and review too much because I've spent three programs introducing this, but the Hebrew name Joshua is the name Jesus, Yeshua. And so this, uh, when you see the book of Joshua opened by saying, Moses, my servant is dead, Joshua arise and take the people into the land, that book is about moving from law under Moses to Jesus. Because Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's the book of Joshua. But as you come into the book of Judges, there are yet places of land or places that they have not continued to have a conquest or to, to drive out the inhabitants. But the book of Joshua opens by saying, or no, I'm sorry, the book of Judges opens by saying, now after the death of Joshua, or after the death of Yeshua, after the death of Jesus. So in the New Testament, after the death of Jesus, there are 12 apostles who Jesus said would set on 12 tribes, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In the book of Judges, there are 12 judges. 
that execute this judgment. We then went to the book of Psalm, chapter 149, and showed you where he said, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Let his praise be in our mouth. And you talked about, you know, praise him with the timbrel and the harp. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. All of those terms are terms of what it means to live from a new covenant perspective. The new song is found in Revelation 5. And they sang, as it were, a new song. What did they sing? Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. The new song is the new song of redemption. Uh, Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. This is Psalm 149. Zion is a symbol of the new covenant. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, declares, You did not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion, and you've come to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So you're singing from the posture of rest, because the next verse says they sing aloud from their bed. And then he says, to execute upon their kings and their nobles the judgment written, this honor have all of his saints. This honor have all of his saints. And we talked about in the last segment how judgment is not always negative, but if it's judgment in favor of the plaintiff and you're the plaintiff, that's good news. But you can have a judgment that's in your favor and if you don't execute the judgment written, or in other words, if you don't if you don't cash the check that you just won, by faith, if you don't take by faith and grab what was provided by grace, you're not going to execute and see the manifestation of it in your life. And so this book of Judges, every one of these 12 judges does something in the visible realm that is a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go through several of these. Some of them they don't give much detail about, but the ones that they do, we're going to really unpack for you. But as he comes down through there, they send Judah first. So that tells me that the praises of God, and even the two-edged sword, he said that the high praises of God be in your mouth in Psalm 149, and a two-edged sword in your hand. That two-edged sword is found in Hebrews, the fourth chapter again, where it says, the Word of God is quick, it's life-giving and powerful. It divides asunder between soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. So the word in that context of Hebrews 4 is a word that flows from rest. And the word that flows from rest is the word that we execute from the finished work of Jesus Christ. Again, looking at the book of Judges, after the death of Yeshua, or after the death of Jesus, we have to execute by faith what He's provided by grace. It's both the objective and subjective sides of the gospel. And so he says to them in chapter 1, verse 2, send Judah first, because if you send him, indeed I've delivered the land into his hand. So when we begin to move from a place of not murmuring and complaining, but into a place of thanksgiving and praise, they begin to conquer the land. And they begin to fight against the Canaanites, and, and they went up and got their allotted territory. Simeon went with him. Simeon's name means hearing. So you've got people of praise and a people who've got an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. And the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek, and and God began to give them a great deliverance. So when I'm thinking about uh, what it means to execute the judgment on their kings and nobles, I'm thinking about the principalities and powers in the areas of our life that are yet unconquered, because that's what the book of Judges is about. 
It's about taking the unconquered territories that has not been in conquest yet. And so you can see that Judah and Simeon and some of them begin to take that uh, land, uh, that conquest. And so, uh, you know, um, they begin to take the, the land that God had spoken to them that belonged to this. They begin to put their feet on it. In other words, see, the Scripture declares, wherever the soles of your foot will trot, I'll give that to you for inheritance. So there's some of these things that we have to walk out by faith. But as you get on down through the latter parts of this, it gets down clear down into about verse 27. It said, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bashan. And then it goes down and says that, uh, you know, uh, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. And then it goes down and says that, uh, nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Bashemus. And, uh, and, and then they forced the, the people of Dan into the mountains. In other words, they were, there were several tribes who were willing to live with some stuff. And to me, this is a very sobering question, because as we get into the book of Judges, this is powerful to me. What are you willing to live with? Are you willing to live with hatred and anger and depression and, and uh, discouragement, and disease? What are you willing to live with? I, ha I was in a meeting, uh, uh, this has been several years ago, but uh, I was flown in the gifts of the Spirit, and people were getting healed, and especially physical healing. And the next night when I came in the building, this, there was a woman that came up to me. And she said, now if the Lord gives you anything for me tonight, don't give it to me. She said, because I just got my disability checked, and I don't want the Lord to heal me. And I'm thinking, boy, there's a classic case of, you know, I'm willing to live with this disease because I'm getting a check. I think sometimes people are willing to live with sickness because they get attention. They get, uh, you know, uh, pity. They get, you know, there's, it's amazing to me what people will do in order to kind of, you know, get someone to pay attention to them. I, I think there are areas of sin in our lives that we are willing to live with. I think there are er areas of discouragement and depression that we're willing to live in. And much even of our depression and struggles is because we don't send Judah first. We don't execute the judgment written. You know, one of the main things that God says to the children of Israel in uh, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, He says, don't fall after the same example of unbelief as they did in the wilderness when they provoked God to wrath. And they said, and the Bible goes on to say that, they, the, that the people murmured. And when they murmured, snakes came among them. See, because murmuring and complaining creates an environment for snakes to operate. But when you praise and worship, see, if, if, if murmuring creates an environment for snakes, just think what praise and worship does, gives God an environment to release the miraculous. And, I'm, I'm, you know, these are, these are things that sometimes to me are pretty powerful keys that I need to pay attention to, because it is easy to fall into the, uh, the patterns of Letting these complaints, we, we complain about everything from, I mean, we, we strike up relationships to people on common gripes we have. Well, it's hot. It's, you know, these lines are too long, or I don't like what's going on politically. In other words, it's always, I don't like, it's complaint, complaint, complaint. And while I do think some of that stuff is important in its place, we need to shift sometimes from uh, looking at what we think ought to be discouragement to looking at the things of God and whatever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest. Think on these things because it shifts our 
mentality to a place of faith where our tongue is like the rudder on the ship and it turns some stuff for us. And when it turns some stuff for us, we can turn the direction even of our own discouragement by speaking some things. And you know what? Even your body is listening to you. When you start talking about, boy, this is my cancer. This is my disease. This is my sugar diabetes. This is my, 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 my. What you're doing is claiming ownership of something you need to dispossess. I don't want to be like these tribes in Israel who were willing to live with some things. And, you know, I believe as the Lord begins to give revelation to us, and so, you know, they, they were willing to live with it because sometimes these people were giving tribute to them. So they were, there was some, they were getting some benefits from these enemies. It's like, you, it's like the woman, once, once again, who didn't want to get healed because she got a disability check. Well, you know, uh, it's like, okay, I'm willing to live with this because it's paying me tribute, or I'm getting something out of it. And what happened ultimately is God said, these people who you've allowed to live in your land and you've not dispossessed, and again, I'm not talking about driving literal people out. I'm talking about areas of our life that need conquest. What are you willing to live with? Because whatever you're willing to live with is going to ultimately become a thorn in your flesh, and probably most of the problems that people have is because they've been willing to live with something. And it's not God's judgment. It is simply the fact that they are reaping what they sowed and that there are repercussions to actions when you're willing to live with some stuff that God's wanting you to get rid of. And so, you know, they... Uh, uh, he tells them, don't make any covenants with these people because what's going to happen is that there's, there's your disobedience is going to cause you to uh, begin to begin to you know take upon you their characteristics, and you're going to start to serve their gods. You're going to start to marry their wives. You're going, in other words, you're going to come into covenant with some things that ought not to be in the body of Christ. And I, as I as I think even about this, these to me are so so important right now. Because I think that as you get on down in this chapter 2 of Joshua, it says, when, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, he's talking about after the death of Joshua, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor, nor the work which he had done. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord their God. God didn't forsake them. They forsook Him. As a matter of fact, He says in a few verses above, I'm not going to break my covenant with you. But if you break your side of the covenant, then you have to re receive the repercussions of what you're, you're doing. And I am amazed. I, I really am I'm quite concerned. And I've always tried to be open and not critical to new truth. But when I see some of the concepts that are drifting into the body of Christ that are coming from, I think, liberal thinking, from a generation that's been raised in liberal schools, thinking in terms of, uh, you know, kind of discrediting uh, anything that has to do with faith, and we have come to the place where, uh, you know, there's, you know, people's faith are shaken by uh, finding faults with uh, how does this scripture contradict that scripture? And the first thing you know, people's faith are in deterioration. The first thing you know, it's like, you know, the, uh, there's people that I have known who are talking about, well, I'm no longer a Christian anymore. I'm thinking, man, if you have deconstructed to the point of self-destruction. I wonder, are some of the con you know? I wonder, are some of the concepts you have worth dying for? Like Paul the apostle, these guys, these guys died for something. 
It wasn't because, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be, and everybody's okay, and I'm okay, you're okay, and, you know, God doesn't bring anything uh, of requirement to us to walk in faith or to walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, but, and I'm not talking about in, in scared. I'm talking about just working out from the posture of salvation. I'm just talking about how sometimes I think that we have been willing to live with some stuff and to the point where these concepts and ideas have filtered into the body of Christ. And, you know, I had somebody walk up to me, it's been several years ago, but she said, I had preached out of the Song of Solomon where it says, take us the foxes, the little foxes are spoiled the vine. And this person came up to me and they were irate about, and they were just mad with me about, you guys are always picking on these little animals and these little animals didn't do nothing to you. And I'm thinking, lady, I just quoted the scripture. But if you have gotten to the place where you'd rather embrace your ideas than you would the Word of God, then maybe maybe you need to take that up with God and not with me. But I think things have creeped in uh, uh, steadily and surely. And then I, I really want to say to some of these folks, are you willing to risk your children and your grandchildren and their future for some concepts that you think might possibly be right? Would you really risk your children and your families on some of that? I, I'm just not willing to do it. I, I'm, I, you know, I think there's some things that are non-negotiables for me, and I'm going to keep my faith stationed on what Jesus did, what His finished work did. I'm going to keep looking to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, and I'm going to drive out some of the inhabitants of this land. It goes on to say that the, and down in chapter 2, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So whenever we start to see God raising up judges, these were guys who begin to execute or reiterate again some things that are pictures of the redemptive work of Christ. Just like Gideon was threshing wheat and hiding under a wine press, that to me speaks of bread and wine. So he raises up judges who bring us back to the centrality of the gospel. Because the Apostle Paul said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is, what is? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Faith has to come into play to execute the judgment written. He said, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered him out of the hand of those who plundered them. Watch this. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked and, and obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by the groaning because of those who oppressed them, harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He said, Because the nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I will also no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in their fathers and keep them out. Therefore He left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So he was saying there were some nations that were remaining there to, to test Israel, and he begins to name them in the third chapter. And so he's saying to them, you know, these nations that you let live there are going to, they're going to, uh, uh, you know, they're going to be thorns in your side. They're, the things that you 
decide that you are willing to live with are going to be the thorns in their sides. But it comes down and God begins, first of all, then he calls uh, the, one of the first judges he mentions in chapter 3, verse 7, So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and, and Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cush and Rusham Tham, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cush and Rusham Tham eight years. And when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them of the children of Israel who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to warn the Lord to deliver Cush and Rusham Tham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hands. And his hand prevailed over Cush and Rusham Tham, so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. The first judge God raises up is Othniel. Now let me just tell you that Othniel has the younger brother syndrome. He's an ordinary person, and you, everybody knows who Caleb was, but nobody knew who Othniel was. But God raised up Othniel. Maybe you've been the guy that nobody recognizes. These are ordinary people, not glow-in-the-dark preachers, not famous people, but ordinary people. And the only way I know how to communicate this is to kind of share a story. And I hope my brother wouldn't mind me sharing this, but uh, my oldest brother's a pastor, and him and I, and my sister who's a pastor, and my son is a pastor, were doing a conference together. And my brother had reached out to opioid-addicted people in his city, or in our city, and people in his church said to him, uh, we don't know if we want these kind of people in our church. And they were the money people who were supporting the ministry. And they said, if, you, if you're going to reach out to these kind of people, we're going. And so, you know, my brother said, well, I feel like God has called me to reach out to these, these people. And so he reached out to those people, and he lost a lot of the financial support. He was about to lose his building. And he said, you know, he got up in his conference and he said, you know, when you have a brother who's successful, he was talking about me. He said, and, uh, you know, you go to your brother's conference and everybody says, oh, I know who you are. You're, you're Lynn's older brother. He said, I was always Lynn's older brother. He said, then when your sister takes your father's ministry and that she was a successor to your mother and father and she doubles it within one year and you're about to lose your building, you feel like a, a failure. And so he was really kind of sharing his heart. I didn't know he really felt like that. But he did not know was that, uh, you know, uh, was that I had, gone, I had gotten a summons from the court to appear for jury duty, and I was trying to make some arrangements of how to do that because when you travel, you can't just be on call for jury duty and people are taking vacations to come to these meetings. And so I'm trying to explain to the county clerk, I believe it was, what I do and how I travel, and I'm not home all the time, and I can't be on call. And I'm trying to explain to her what I do and who I am. And she looks at me and she says, oh, I know who you are. You're Jack's younger brother. So in this city that I live in, I'm Jack's little brother. In my conference, he's Lynn's older brother. So what happens is each one of us have our own sphere of influence. And as far as I'm concerned, my brother is one of the most successful ministries. I, I, I think he deserves more honor than he gets because he's touching people with boots on the ground and his whole church is full of people who have been either addicted to drugs and are overcoming them or the families of addicts. And he works with a thing called Life of Drugs or Team Hope. And now my youngest son has joined him in that ministry. He ultimately lost his building because his money people left him. And the Lord opened a door for him to rent a place here locally in our town, but he's reaching out and touching people. And sometimes we need to value 
people more than we value money or fame. So the younger brother syndrome can be something that everyone has to deal with at some point in their lives. It's like being the last one to be chosen for a baseball team or the last one to be picked for dodgeball when you were growing up. It's like take him and the two girls. That's equivalent. You know, it's all, in other words, what I want you to show is God is choosing the underdog. And he's raising up people that maybe nobody else knows. So here's Othniel, who is the younger brother of Caleb, who seems to be in the shadow of his older brother. But God is going to raise him up to, to take Israel into deliverance. What I simply want to say by that is if you will stay in your assignment, for many, many years our ministry was probably not nearly as recognized as it is now or uh, not nearly as successful. But I look back at it and people say, how did you get here? And they don't realize, they see you when you're in success, but they don't see the struggles. I said, I just stayed in my assignment. I preached my message and I did what God told me to do when it wasn't in season. And now that it is in season and people are responding from all over the world, it is because I stayed in my sphere of influence and did what God had put in my heart. My brother, who I think is hugely successful, he has breakfast sometimes with law enforcement and judges and uh, politicians and has brought so much stuff to our community that saved the lives of people who are addicted to drugs or their families and has reached out to them, to me that's hugely, hugely successful because that's the Othniel that's driving out the inhabitants of our city that's trying to, to kill and destroy our family. So many people have died from opioid uh, addiction and it amazes me that how people that can say, I don't want those kind of people in my church and I'm not going to support this ministry if you bring those kind of people in to our church. But what's amazing is when it's their son or their daughter that he's saving their life, they think a whole lot different. And my deal is, man, maybe we ought to think in terms of let's do some things that are preventive so they don't become thorns in our sides. Let's arise and begin to possess what belongs to us and execute some of these judgments that are written. And Caleb, uh, younger brother Othniel, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and he went out to war and he defeated the kings that were coming against the children of Israel and he was the first one of the judges. So I'm setting that stage to show you don't think you're a nobody. Everybody is a somebody in their own sphere of influence. So stay in your assignment. Do what God told you to do and whatever your hand finds to do. Maybe it's just for your family. Maybe it's just for your children, just for your grandchildren, or for your own personal good. But you're going to drive out these inhabitants. If you don't, they'll become thorns in your side. And that's what we're in in America right now is a mess because we have allowed some things to live with we shouldn't want to live with. Well, we're out of time. Uh, if you've enjoyed this and you'd like to support this ministry, so a seed into it, simply go to the website, what you see there, and there is a link where you can give via credit card or debit card through our PayPal portal. You can give a one-time gift. You can give a monthly debit if you'd like to set up on a recurring monthly payment. It's right there, easy to do. You can call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call. If you don't get an answer, leave a message. They will call you back. Sometimes we air late night and nobody is manning the phones. You can also send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. But your help is greatly needed, so do it today. And tune in again next week as we continue the series on the book of Judges. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.